Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. I'm Ant Sharwood and today on the show we're going to be talking about the devastating Pakistan floods. Now it's sad to say they're probably the world's worst weather-related natural disaster of the year so far. So we'll be talking about the effects of the floods and of course about the underlying climate change influence which is at play. We're also going to talk this week about a great debate that is raging between climate scientists. Say no more about that for now till we get there. And we're also going to take you to the place on Earth that you probably most associate with cars that's about to become the land of electric vehicles. Some great news there. Now, we're also going to be doing a few citations about citations. Sorry oh, God. Terrible wordplay. Yes, I know, it was awful. But I'm talking about dolphins, whales and porpoises. People always forget about the porpoises. But uh, speaking of porpoise, well, purpose anyway, seem to have had no purpose lately. Something has been missing from the Green Canary podcast. Ah, yes, of course, that's something or that's someone. Is Elfie Scott, who is back from Europe. Thank you, Elfie, for rescuing me. And how are you? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you, Ant. I'm still profoundly jet lagged, but it's okay. I'll push through it. And thank you so much for holding down the Green Canary Fort while I was away. You had some great content going. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had a we had a good laugh uh, without you. We didn't make any jokes at all behind your back, tempted <laughs> as though we were. At least not um, ones that were recorded. <laughs> That's exactly right. But let's <laughs> let's jump into it. I mean, this this is not a great story we have to start off with, but mm. we have to address it because it's an absolute disaster. I mean, you look at the East Coast floods that we've had in Australia in the last year or two, and they've been terrible. But Pakistan is just just on, on another scale, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was news that I'm sure we've all seen uh, rolling out in the past week, that basically Pakistan is experiencing these massive devastating floods caused by the heaviest monsoon rains in at least a decade. And I think they began nearly a week ago now, and they've been described by Pakistan's Prime Minister Shibaz Sharif as the worst in the country's history. So they've had record rainfall combined with melting glaciers, and that's led to, at least it was in one at one point in time, over a third of the country being completely submerged. So Which, it's been absolutely awful to watch. That's, I mean, a third of the country. And, you know, to put that in perspective for people, Pakistan is almost exactly the same size as the state of New South Wales here in Australia. Oh, right, okay. So, Imagine if one third of New South Wales was underwater, and now oh. imagine that New South Wales had uh, was the fifth most populated country on earth, which with you know two hundred plus million people, which which is what Pakistan is. So this this has been a uh, natural disaster on on just a grand scale, and you know you mentioned the the glaciers quickly. Pakistan, Elfie, has more than seven thousand glaciers. Wow. Um, it, of course, has, I think it's got the most of any country outside the polar regions. Um, of course, the world's second highest peak, K2, is is in Pakistan, up in the Karakoram. Um, and the point of the glaciers is, I was listening to a, a, a scientist on this, on um, America's NPR, actually. Um, the glaciers, the glacial melt uh, generally comes in very late spring, early summer. When the glacier melt combines with monsoon rains that that already puts added pressure on the on the um on the river system when one of the 
most severe glacial melts in the country's history combines with one of the most severe rainfalls in the country's history, you can imagine how much water goes into the rivers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the human toll we have to speak about because just the burden of this massive amount of flooding in such a contained area is is really horrific. So what has happened is that 33 million people or one in seven Pakistanis have been affected by this. 1,500 people have lost their lives and half a million homes have been lost. On top of that, the agricultural industry in many parts of the country has just been wiped out, decimated, and the cost of repairing the damage to the country's infrastructure has been estimated at around $10 billion. But Ant, as you mentioned at the top of this episode, like we do have to talk about the climate change uh, impact and, you know, what we're actually seeing in terms of the data and the studies that are coming out about Pakistan's floods. So can we talk about like, what we can actually attribute to climate change within this story. Uh, yes, we can. These floods. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's never that simple. It's never that simple. You always have to use that that line about, you know, such events are made more likely uh, and more severe when they occur. That is exactly the case here. Um, but, you know, I, I believe we we found a statistic, didn't we, where, where scientists um, said that, you know, first of all, there were there were heat waves in Pakistan earlier this year, forty nine degrees. Scientists said, well, the probability of getting uh, that sort of temperature was was upped by a factor of thirty. Mm. Uh, something similar at play uh, with with floods of this level. And I I, I always uh, I think you know I'm a big fan of Antonio Guterres, uh, not just because as an ant I'm a member of the Antonio Club, but but. <laughs> I just love his colourful language all year and, you know, recent years. He just, he tells it like it is and he just does not speak like a bureaucrat, even though that's basically his job. He's chief bureaucrat of an international bureaucracy. But and Antonio Guterres said, the Pakistan people are facing a monsoon on steroids. Wow. Um, the relentless impact of epochal levels of rain and flooding. You just, you don't hear the word epochal enough, do you? And and I don't know and, if I've ever heard the word epochal. Well, as in once in an epoch, as in just, you don't see this. It's not a one in a hundred year or 500 year or thousand year flood. It's a once in an epoch flood. Um, and then he said, let's stop sleepwalking towards the destruction of our planet by climate change. Today it's Pakistan. Tomorrow it could be your country, which I think was uh, a really, really nice way of bringing it home for all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think something else that I want to talk about with this story is really the issue of climate justice that comes up inevitably when we're talking about a country such as Pakistan uh, experiencing these kind of floods as opposed to, say, Australia. Because I looked this up and when I looked at the per capita CO2 emissions of Australians compared to Pakistanis, I found that Australians are, on average, responsible for about 15 tonnes of carbon emissions every year and the average Pakistani is responsible for under one. So we're really seeing this play out in real time. This thing that everybody has been warning us for decades will ultimately happen is that the people who are least responsible responsible for climate change are going to be the people who first bear the brunt of its effects. And Mm. I think that that's something we really got to keep in mind when we're looking at a story as devastating and horrific as this one. That's a fantastic point. And we actually, we actually, uh, we went there actually in the newsletter last week while you were away. Um, I think I got a quote from Frank Bainimarama, the the, um, leader of Fiji, 
who um, said exactly that. He pointed at the developed world. He said, Pakistan's floods are the developed world's uh, problem. You guys mm -hmm. caused it. So, you know, I think that that uh, issue of climate justice is well worth addressing always um, in, in contexts like this and, and well done. And so what we need to do, of course, Elfie, is... Uh, take climate science seriously and that that takes us to our next uh, story rather nicely doesn't it it really very much yeah. does and this is such an interesting story that you found and so can you please tell me about what is happening with the ipcc and what people are suggesting should happen okay so i, I was alerted to this on on the weekend um by something i read in the abc but it relates to a, a, a scientific journal piece that was written uh December last year, basically three climate scientists said, we should go on strike. We should stop doing climate science because no one is listening to us. They, these are people who have uh, contributed rather to IPCC reports. And they basically just said, look, um, we, we call for a moratorium on climate change research until governments are willing to get their act together to fulfil their responsibilities in good faith and mobilise coordinated action from local to global levels. So what we've got is a bunch of scientists that, well, three who wrote the paper, who are sick of producing the research, the data, the reports, in many cases, the advocacy as well, um, and being ignored. Mm. So... Um, what the ABC did on the weekend in this story was they, they spoke to a, a few Australian climate scientists about it. It was good journalism by then, them rather. And one of them was uh, Professor Mark Howden um, of the ANU, uh, of, of their uh, Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions. And he wasn't so impressed, was he? No. Um, so he's been involved with the IPCC since 1991. And he actually claims to be the only person who has been involved in the second, third, fourth, fifth and now sixth IPCC assessment reports. Um, but basically in the story on the weekend, he said that it is just not a great idea. Um, and Ant, you actually spoke to Mark yourself, didn't you? You got him on the line to speak about these concepts and, you know, what these scientists were actually proposing. Yeah. So so when when Mark Howden said, no, nah, we can't just go on strike. We can't just stop doing the science. That That is not the solution. As you said, just not a great idea. So I thought... Well, let's call him ourselves. Let's get Mark Howden on the line. Let's 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 see. And I guess you know we'll play a couple of grabs from him. The first thing I did ask him was, I mean, did he think these scientists were absolutely serious, or were they just kind of playing devil's advocate to ruffle feathers a bit? Let's let's hear from Mark Howden. We we should continue to uh, do some of the underlying science, um, but we can uh, walk and chew gum at the same time, and we should be. Uh, ensuring that the science that we do is relevant um, and it's supported and it's meaningful and it leads to good outcomes. And so uh, for me, this is not a, a time for uh, you know, navel-gazing. This is actually a time for um, stepping up and stepping out. Okay, so Mark essentially told us there that there was like no way that climate scientists should stop producing yeah. climate science, right? And in actual fact, they should maybe do more of it, they, uh, they... which I think is an interesting argument to come to this with. 
Yeah, I think it is too. Um, you know, and 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 good on him for standing his ground. And you know, it is worth mentioning that Professor Mark Howden is from the ANU's Institute for Climate, Energy, and Disaster Solutions. Mm. Very solutions-focused guy. Love that about him. And so he he thinks that the way to you know solve this issue is to keep feeding people with science. So next, we sort of asked him whether the scientific community has a role beyond just researching, reporting, leaving it on the table in those sort of 4,000-page IPCC reports, should they also go that extra step? This is a, a, a debate that, that goes on in the scientific community generally now on all issues. Do you just do the science or do you engage with decision makers, which is particularly important in climate science? So I, I put that question to Mark Howden as well. Let's hear what he said. Oh science community, like any community, is is uh, full of very different people. So some people just like to hunker down in back rooms and do their science. Other people, you know, engage with the policy process and the political discourse. Um, overall, I think science has been incredibly effective in this uh, topic of climate change. So we, um, 90% of Australians acknowledge that climate change is happening. It's an issue on it. Um, so that's the Lowy Institute poll that shows those numbers year after year after year. So, so I think we've actually been really effective at raising the issues about climate change. So you can sort of see that, you know, it's horses for courses. It, 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 it depends what sort of scientist you are. Some, some sit in the corner, some prefer to engage. But I think, you know, Mark Howden uh, of, of um, the ANU, uh, Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions, I'll say it again, is uh, very much a solutions-focused person. And he believes that, that you know, this paper was a bit of a furphy. It's not his way of seeing it. But I think it was an interesting debate and I hope people sort of enjoyed hearing about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think that, like, even if you don't necessarily believe in what is written in this paper, I think at the same time, at least it really strikes up an interesting discussion. And they speak in the paper about, you know, the contract between scientists and governments being broken. Like, what is the point of science if governments aren't acting on it? And, you know, maybe it is maybe it is a furphy. That's fine. But at least there's something to talk about here. And at least, like, we can focus on these sort of bigger issues that they are pointing towards. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I sort of put that to him, but it is not his role to get in, involved in, in tricky political questions. And when I say I put it to him, I said, hey, so we've got a government that, all right, it's put through some legislation to to reduce emissions to 43% of the old levels. Um, and yet at the same time, they're, they're, they've just greenlit 10 permits for offshore resource development slash exploitation Um what do you make of a government like this? He wouldn't go there. Mm. He doesn't want to get politically involved, but he does want to be a political advocate. It's a fine line, and I, I, th I think he's treading it well, actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Now we are going to move into mulch, and this is the little part of the episode where we get to talk about the clippings, the interesting curiosity stories, and you have come to me with a collection of stories this week, so why don't you jump into it? Uh, your first one is talking about... California being set to ban the sale of new fossil fueled cars by 2035. Uh, sounds like good news. 
Yeah, it is. And, and there goes the clickbait because I said to you, uh, everybody at the start of the episode. Um, oh, no, I fucked up your clickbait. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you absolutely didn't. No, no, no. It was time to reveal. It was time for the reveal. That's absolutely fine. So, you know, I said a place you normally associate with cars and, you know, the freeways of Los Angeles and 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 the uh, the smog, the famous smog that sits over that city. And, um, well, perhaps it will be smog free uh in the future because california is going to require all all new cars new cars not existing ones are uh, to be electric or hydrogen powered by 2035 that is exactly in line with what the act is doing uh here it's what the eu is doing as well i don't know why 2035 is the magic number but that's the year that they're all sort of taking as their benchmark to kick this off and there are 17 states that uh, might go along with them, it seems, in America. Yeah, totally. So there, are, so under the uh, Clean Air Act, uh, there are 17 states that are basically tied to California's rule system currently. Uh, Washington, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon and Vermont are all expected to adopt the ban along with California. I think there are other states that are currently kicking and screaming and probably going to end up taking this to court. But you know what? At the same time, it does show that, you know, there is going to be like some interesting progression with this in the U.S., but also, and like you said, you know, we've spoken a lot about electric vehicles in the past. And I think that it's great to see these huge signals from government about these new cars. But like we have spoken about before, we just have to hope that these sort of rules come with like the infrastructure and subsidies needed for people in lower income brackets to actually be able to access these vehicles. So yeah, let's hope that we actually see progressive reform that includes everybody. You are so justice-focused and orientated, Elfie. You're such a good human being. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm not a good human being. We've just spoken to people who are good human beings who have told us this before. <laughs> well, uh, look, let's let's talk. Let's if, if if you're not a good human being, let's let's talk about some good whales. Let's talk about the right whales. Um, <laughs> the the southern right whales. Um, yeah. Look, we warned you there'd be some cetacean stories. Um, Southern white right whales, we're starting with a bad one because we do like to end with a good one. And, and this isn't great news. The southern right whales are not carving as often as they used to in Australian waters, are they? No. So this is like a key endangered species. I don't know how much you know about the southern right whale, but I've read about them before. So I happen to have this information. Take it away. Um, but basically they used to have like tens of thousands of these whales uh, off the coast of Australia. And then during the 1800s, their population was just decimated. So now there are pro approximately like 3000 individuals who live in Australian waters. And it seems like habitat destruction, underwater noise pollution, uh, like getting hit by marine vessels, um, like these are all issues for the whales. But then also on top of that, climate change is the icing on the shit cake for them. And it seems <laughs> to be causing some real problems with their food supplies. So as much as they were sort of bouncing back a little bit um, and they have been returning to breeding grounds in recent years um, it yeah it just seems like that sort of bounce back from being overhunted might be being interfered with by all of these other factors and 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 the whole sort of issue here is that they're carving less often or less you know that the carving cycle is increasing isn't it so they used to pop out a calf every every three years Scientists uh, led by Curtin University researchers have now found it's more like every four or five years. So that is a really subtle signal that the species is in, is in trouble. I think it's it's great work by those those scientists. And maybe it's a blip, 
Maybe they'll be back to three years in a couple of years. Let's see. Yeah, actually, and before we end that segment, do you mind telling me the story about why they're called right whales? Because this is pretty grim, and I think that we probably have to acknowledge this. Well, I just looked it up yesterday because I've always thought it was a stupid name for a while. I mean, why? why <laughs> it is they, a stupid why? name. You're right. I mean, I, I don't want them to be called right whales. I, I want them to be called, you know, southern awesome whales or something. But, but, um, look, it's disputed. It's disputed historically, oh, but okay. one of the favoured um, theories is that they were the right whale for hunting because they swam near the um, shore, tick, easy to get to, and when you harpooned them or whatever you did to them, they floated on the surface. Maybe some whales don't. I don't know. Uh, and they were easy to drag back as well. So they were just the right whale if you wanted to go and get some blubber. Um just terrible stuff. I, I, I don't want them to be right whales. I want them to change their name. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe there is a better reason. That's the one I read. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a good reminder and maybe you can lead the campaign for the renaming of the right whale in the future. I can get around. Absolutely. I can get around that. Um, and it, it and um, the campaign I mentioned in the, the newsletter recently, which we're about to get onto about soy sauce fish. I mean, they're not real fish, but while we're talking about the oceans, those little soy sauce fish, that's going to be my campaign because nobody should take a soy sauce fish away with their sushi, pour some on from a bottle at the point of sale and leave it there because they're <laughs> terrible little things, those soy sauce fish. All right. Um, but we promised you some good cetacean news. Please, please help me with the bottlenose dolphins. What's going on? All right. This is actually a really nice story. And yeah. I've never seen anything like it before. But three bottlenose dolphins have been freed from their captivity in Indonesia back into the ocean this week. Fantastic. So these three dolphins, they were rescued from this like tiny, like shitty, cruel pool in a resort hotel. And they'd been sold to that hotel after years in a traveling circus. So they just have like a hang on, hang on. Dolphins life. were in a circus. Okay. I read this and I thought the same thing. <laughs> I did not look it up, but I want to leave it to people's imaginations. Wow. That's just so cruel. That is so I know, terrible. I know. But they were picked up from the hotel by this rehabilitation group from Bali, which is weirdly headed up by a guy called Lincoln O'Barry, who I would love to speak to because his father, Rick, founded the organization after he worked as the dolphin trainer on Flipper. So. Wow. Rick ended up hating what he contributed to in terms of like the captivity of dolphins. And then he dedicated the rest of his life to trying to release them. That's what the organization does. And that's what they have done with these individual dolphins. So now I, they're healthy and strong and they're in the ocean. I just wanted to be there when the bottlenose dolphins were released. It would have been like the final scene of Free Willy. Have you ever seen Free Willy, Alfie? Oh God, so many years ago. Should I watch it again? Is it? Oh, I don't movie? know. Just, just go and watch. I, I did this uh, last night. I watched the last scene. It's on YouTube. And, you know, the boy's standing there and Willie's got to jump over the thing and go on, Willie, I believe in you. I believe in you. And Willie goes, oh my god okay all right everybody's got to go and watch free willy but then yeah. also we've got to cut up the audio of ant making the whale noise <laughs> and haunt him with that for the rest of his life Please these are do. two jobs maybe we should end the podcast
maybe we should (laughs) all right that is all we have time for today thank you so much for joining us for the green canary as always we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording the gadigal people of the eora nation we'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen never ceded Thank you, Elfie. And uh, someone told me I got it right last week as well when I acknowledged the Yatematang people when I brought you the podcast from the Victorian Alps. So, ah. phew, got that one right. That was off the top of my head when I forgot all about the acknowledgement. At the end, I went, oh, I've got to do that. Pretty sure the local folk are the Yatematang. Oh, my gosh. I am so glad I got that right. And I can tell you a story about the Yatematang people, but uh, I might save it for another pod. Um So I'd just like to remind everybody, uh, hello at thegreencanary.co is uh, where to email for our weekly newsletter and all your free willy news. Um, (laughs) And please talk to us on social media. We are at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We are at Green Canary Media on Insta. We're about to ramp up our Insta and do a few things there. So get around us there. And we will see you next week on The Green Canary. I think I better go out with a... Believe in you, Willie. Believe in you, Alfie. See you next week. Bye. Bye.